Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Humans have long joked about sending our junk into space. Futurama did a whole episode on it. It turns out that that's a terrible idea, because we can't clean up what is already out there, and a two-centimeter chip of paint can about take out a window on the International Space Station. We're going to talk about space junk, space debris, all that shit we put up in the space that's just orbiting the Earth right now, and how we deal with it now and in the future. Before we get into that, Mike, how are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing fantastic. We're back into space, and I'm drinking a... Scottish Leader Scotch. It's a blended whiskey, sc- Scottish whiskey, and it's uh, it's quite good. How about you, my friend? How you doing? What are you drinking? Oh, just, just back to drinking the Rogue Dead Guy Ales, my favorite beer, and uh, what is commonly in the fridge. <laughs> but yeah, since the very beginning of humans putting stuff into space, we've been leaving it there, where we've been polluting the ever-growing vacuum of space with our junk going back to the russians in 1957 by sending rockets up there and we've been continuing on by adding to that both russia america china europe india tons of countries and has very quickly filled up and might be a problem in the near future i liked how we let off with blaming russia but then we quickly blamed everyone else as well you gotta start with your uh, key points there in an argument And for those wondering, we're not just leaving satellites up there. We're not just leaving our poor astronauts out there. A lot of it is secondary equipment. So after boosters, secondary um, pod modules, repairs, decommissioned satellites that we no longer lead that are a little bit too far from the low Earth orbit to fall back into Earth and burn up on reentry. For those who don't know, the atmosphere ends but the gravitational pull continues on past that. So there are different layers of orbit around the Earth. Usually low Earth orbit means you kind of fall back into Earth and burn up unless you, you know, add a secondary booster to recalculate for that, which we'll probably get into in a bit. But needless to say, the Earth's surrounding area is looking like a white park trailer park because there's just a bunch of junk all around it. And it's getting a little bit more difficult to get into space, when you say so, Nick? Yep. I like to think of it as, uh, like, uh, from Rocket Man, where he's like, sweet swirling onion rings. (laughs) Um, So, like Mike talked about, we've been launching a lot of stuff into space. Probably about 100 satellites a year since 1965, 64. And there's a dip during the recession around, like, 2008 or so. But, Mike... You'll never guess this. Guess what year the most satellites were launched into space? Mm, 95 or 2012? 1967. Holy crap, I was way off. 143 satellites were launched into space. Why? I don't know. I'm just looking at this graph and I'm very confused. From uh, Transportations and Logistics Statista aviation yeah i don't know (laughs) what happened maybe satellite broadcasting came up to be or because that's before sending men to the moon so that's that's very confusing day i did not realize that that's really intriguing but nick with all these well since going back to the 60s adding all these satellites all these orbital things around the earth all these things we're sending it can quickly turn into a snowball effect and in 1978 a man by donald Kessler, who proposed a, well, named after him, Kessler syndrome, which in which space debris causes even more space debris. So like I mentioned just a moment ago, you have the after boosters, you have the pods, the satellites that are decommissioned, no longer working. Yeah, those are junk. But you also have every screw, every nail, like Nick mentioned, a paint chip, all these things traveling, I think it's four miles per second, can do enormous damage and they just keep adding on so nick to continue on rambling on the best way i learned from the 
Kessler effect was imagine it's almost like an exponential graph. You have one domino to knock over a larger domino, a larger domino to knock over a larger domino. And you just keep that, have that cycle going because a screw, a paint chip that ran into a satellite could explode that satellite and then make a thousand more paint chips, screws flying through the air, which then in turn can make even more space debris. It's a real... I have a, a, a better analogy that I think people can understand, Mike. It's kind of like Southerners driving during a snowstorm. You got one Southerner on the road and you're fine, but you got two, and then the two Southerners hit each other. Then a third Southerner comes through and hit those two cars, and before you know it, there's car parts all over the road, and you can't get a Southerner to drive straight through the snow without hitting someone else. I feel like we need a ref here because that felt like a low blow there. Might need uh, five minutes for rest. I've driven through Birmingham in a snowstorm, and I have seen, I have seen it with my own eyes. Oh, I'm not disagreeing so, with you. It's just, just a low blow. True. That, that, it's not. It's, it's it's mean, but it's true. Yes, it's very true. It's quite easily. It's amazing how easily one thing can turn into two, and two can turn into four, et cetera, et cetera. Keep going. And space debris is no different. I mean, granted, we've only had mainly decommissioned satellites, paint chips, some loose screws. But then in 1996, specifically July 24th, the first collision between operational equipment occurred. This was between a European rocket that collided with a French microsatellite. Well, just goes to show Americans aren't the only one who can't drive around about even Europeans crash when there's nothing but space in a roundabout. Nailed it. <laughs> I, I got to add crickets there for, for a bit. But yeah, that was the first operational equipment hitting each other. And it might seem, oh, it's just like one car crash. Well, there's no really gravity there to pull all the junk into it, into the earth to burn up. So it's just still there. So imagine every car crash on the road, they just left the bumpers, the glass the metal right where it was on the driveway on the on the highway it never got cleaned up that's how it is right now in space so you can imagine it got hidden in the snow yeah that uh that tricky southern snow you know how that sneaks up on you those 0.25 inches will kill you (laughs) shut down your whole state all right that one was a low blow (laughs) (laughs) oh But this kept happening. Again, the Kessler effect. More things kept hitting each other, kept adding on. I mean, they, I believe they even did a movie on it called Gravity with uh, Sarah Bullock and George Clooney, which is not quite how the Kessler effect works. So the Kessler effect has already been happening. It's just a slower process than we seem to realize. It's not a tsunami. It's more like tectonic plates shifting. It's a slow build because... Well, the Earth's got a pretty good diameter, so things spinning around, going, hitting things, it takes some time. Things are, you know, in space, There's, it's spaceful, so it, it takes time to happen. But we are in a Kessler syndrome currently, and of, of May 2021, there are more than 27,000 pieces of orbital debris that are being tracked by the Department of Defense for the United States. And of those 23,000, sorry, 27,000 pieces of junk, They are larger than a softball. That's just what we're tracking. Over half a million pieces are bigger than a marble. And an estimated 100 million pieces that are one millimeter or smaller that can just destroy everything that we cannot track. Let me repeat that. We cannot track those pieces that are smaller than one millimeter. It's just gone. If something hit, if International Space Station, which got hit not too long ago, gets hit with something, it's sometimes not just a crack in the window. Even though astronauts have heard the pitter-patter of metal hitting their metal hull frame, which has got to be really scary in space. Don't you think so, Nick? Yeah, I feel like anything is scary in space. Like, when you're out in the woods, you can hear, in the, in the windstorm, you can hear the creaking of the trees. You know, it sounds like stepping down the staircase in an old house. I imagine in space, you hear the creaking, and you know, the heating up, the expansion, the, sw- the swelling of the metal, but all the other stuff is like, huh, I wonder if this is going to be it. Because the piece of paint, the space debris that hit the International Space Station was less than a millimeter in size, and it caused a seven millimeter chip, 
which didn't break the window, but I just can't imagine. I mean, imagine you're just, you know, doing your little your thing. You're doing your experiments. You're floating around the International Space Station. You look out the window and there's a fucking crack in it. I mean, I got a got adrenaline going when I got a crack in my window going down the highway. A piece of, you know, rock came and hit my pickup window. I was like, oh, fuck. But my window breaks and I can still breathe. So <laughs> <laughs> we're good there. That's got to be a hold your breath moment when you realize you might not be able to breathe in a second because something you can't see or detect is hitting your your ship, you pretty much. Imagine being in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden things are bumping into your ship. But now if that ship fails, you won't just be treading water. You'll die. It's a kind of extreme level turn up to 10. And since we're talking about tracking the space debris, I think it's important to talk about how we currently track space debris. It's kind of track it once and use simulations to figure out where it's going. Currently, we're using, I think it's four to five satellites. I'm oh, sorry, not satellites. Uh, radio. What's the best word choice for this? We're pretty much, we have four or five bases that are sending out radio frequencies to tell the distance because you can tell distance through radio waves by based on how much the waves bounce back, et cetera, et cetera. And we use those to track low Earth orbits. And then we use different software to help us track those so the satellites sorry the radio waves that we use currently don't cover the entire planet they only cover certain sections so we have to use computers to keep track of all the things which is uh, that's like one bad power outage or someone accidentally deleting a folder and we're going to be in bad bad news because most low earth's satellites and the international space station itself has to dodge at least once a year. Some have to dodge even, I believe it's 10 a week. To By, by dodge, I mean they send on, they turn on their secondary uh, boosters in space to change their trajectory so they don't get hit. That is like the most extreme game of Ponko ever. And it's quite scary. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? It's it's a problem where it's getting bigger and bigger with time. So... And this this is the price we pay for internet wherever we want it, right? Oh, and it's probably going to get worse when we start talking about Starlink, but that's a little bit later. For those wondering, the model that we use to help simulate and project the trajectory of said objects is called the Kepler model. It's uh, I actually looked at some of the code people have made for their own. I obviously couldn't get a hold of NASA's or the Department of Defense's one, but it's extremely simple-based code which makes me extremely worried because um one if something's too simple to be true it usually is and for those wondering pretty much how the kepler model works is if you're spinning around the earth going around and around you don't usually stay in that orbit maybe every year maybe even short periods even a month you start moving closer and closer to the earth if you're in the geostationary orbit of earth or low earth orbit and you keep getting closer and closer until it burns to the sun so instead of having a perfectly round orbit most things are orbiting in a corkscrew almost of up and down changing their distance from the earth while spinning around the earth and dodging things around the earth it's getting really complicated really fast yeah this is uh this is a lot for me i want to reiterate uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast i grow trees and gravity is a fixed variable uh, where I work. So this is a little bit new to me. You know, it's not the 9.8 meters per second that I'm used to. Hey, Nick, can I blow your mind? Uh, that's an average. There are places on the Earth with different gravity. Okay, well, I'm at sea level, so I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that, is, that is a fair statement. But since we keep talking about how much damage a piece of paint can do, it is traveling four miles per second. I, I was looking at my notes. But... That's the equivalent on Earth of a object weighing 550 pounds traveling 60 miles per hour hitting you. So imagine a large motorcycle going 60 miles per hour smashing into you. That's what a paint chip can do. Now, we have things in space that are bigger than the size of a softball. That's uh, yeah, I, a... Yeah, a paint chip can hit you the same as a... 550 pound motorcycle 
I can't even imagine what a softball can do. I don't really want to do the math of something that size. Yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, I'm just imagining like just Death Star like power, just, (laughs) just massive explosions or like, I don't know, a space semi, like a fucking softball, just (laughs) some, (laughs) some building just sitting there and just a semi just like coming through or a train like a train with the cattle guard just uh to use a, uh what's the proper terminology just yeeting the fuck <laughs> out of a cow <laughs> standing on it's there it's just like a bloody mess and you're just like walking along in the woods and you're trying to figure out where did this half a cow come from oh the train tracks that's what i'm picturing just destruction is it bad that now there's no cows in space. I do know that. Yet we did put a Tesla in space, so I wouldn't doubt cows are coming soon. Is that the logical order? Tesla, cow, or do you go elephant first? Do you go smaller than larger? So Tesla ferret cow. Well, apparently it's Tesla wood. Then going to be cow. Fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what happens if splinters happen? From that box. What would the splinters do? Uh, in case space be- splinters, it just <laughs> yeah, just getting hit with a space chopstick and just go right through you. <laughs> For those wondering, uh, Nick, why don't you explain about the wood that we're talking about? Gladly. So apparently, the first wooden satellite will be launched sometime this year, and it'll be. A four by four by four, so pretty small, like micro satellite. And I don't really know exactly the purpose, but it's made out of uh, birch. But it's it's been chemically treated, kind of like a a plywood. Like a, it's got a lot of stuff going on. So it's just like your your load your load bearing lumber and stuff like that that's been chemically treated to be resistant to heat as well as pressure and and stuff like that so we'll see how that goes mike is not very optimistic even though wood is the material of the past and the future now uh my mind is you know thermal expansion you know heat cold of space the sun warming it up it i'm trying to figure out how it's going to hold together because that's going around the i imagine since it's a smaller items lower orbit so it's probably going around the earth 16 times a day that's a lot of temperature changes for wood, so I'm very cautious of that. Uh, hey, when anyone asks me why I got into forestry, say we've been logging since before the Bible and we'll be logging long after. Wood is the material of pretty much anything you're doing. So that's why we, you know, Mike, this has been your your world with metals and, and all that shit, but <laughs> all that shit. nature nature finds a way man life finds a way you got to make yourself useful if you want to stay alive and i guess trees are adapting to make it into the space world apparently yep they they naturally adapted that way i'm just kidding i know how evolution works don't don't comment anything about that statement please (laughs) well to add on to the splinters those would probably break off to be relatively the size of the blueberries i would imagine you know (laughs) okay so real quick, so the article about uh, the space satellite says uh, for every, uh, it talks about its sustainability, it says making satellites out of plywood instead of aluminum or steel takes much less toll on the environment, and plywood is a lot cheaper, and you can tell that this is an old article. <laughs> Just kidding, it was written five hours ago, but... <laughs> oh, God. We all know how expensive wood is right now, and I think that's the joke we all need to be laughing at instead of my failure to read when this was written. (laughs) Imagine it's cheaper to build a metal rocket than it is a wooden rocket. That just seems very, that seems like a very weird statement of contradictions, but nonetheless. Uh, For those who don't realize, again, if that box was to splinter and hit things, an object in space the size of a blueberry, a blueberry, and then you know, there are hundreds of thousands of those size of pieces of debris floating in space. If they hit something, they would have the same energy as a falling anvil reaching terminal speed. And here's the best part. The blueberry-sized debris, the junk, they can't be tracked because they're 
too small. Imagine hundreds of thousands of anvils that are falling out of the sky that can't be tracked, that are just, and you have to navigate your way to work. That's how it is right now in space. I feel like the better example, Mike, is every time you launch a rocket into space, there's a hundred thousand drunk rednecks with fifty cows shooting <laughs> randomly, <laughs> and you have to hope that whatever you're launching up there is stronger than that fifty cal. Oh God! Now this has all been jokes, but the reason why this is important is it's not so we will be trapped with all the space debris that we will create or have created. It won't trap us on this planet. We'll still be able to get out. That's not the problem. The problem is the low Earth, that's why we keep bringing up the low Earth orbit, the satellites, the internet, the GPS, all that can get destroyed. So yes, we'll be able to launch stuff deeper into space, but the 4G network or 3G if you're Nick, all the GPS... Shots fired. Yeah, well, you... you <laughs> it's an iPhone 5C, okay? It's perfectly functional for the next... One to two months. <laughs> if the Kessler syndrome happens at low Earth orbit more than it is now or keeps continuing to grow, all you know, streaming services, all GPS signals, your maps, that's all gone. Those are all, all low Earth orbit satellites. And from what I can tell, it would take over seven years to recruit, recoup and adapt to that so we can have those things again. So imagine seven years without having us on any podcast stations where you listen to, which you can find us any most, anywhere you want to listen to podcasts. Selfless plug there. And imagine just not having GPS. And granted, it's funny that GPS is run by the U.S. military, but that's a conversation for another day. But all that gone, just completely gone, all pretty much the 21st century wonders of being connected destroyed wait a minute nick that also means social media might be gone all right maybe i am down for more space debris speak for yourself i got paper maps to the surrounding three states <laughs> so do i and, uh, I'll be fine. if you're counting that is i have every state around me except for california because if i have to go to california i'm already fucked <laughs> fair enough fair enough so again once again to to just to clarify we're not creating a prison but we might be cutting off our nose to spider face that's the problem with space debris as more companies like uh spacex enter into space it also creates some more junk now granted we're getting better with this there has been different organizations u.s european union u.n coming up with protocols to make sure that doesn't happen and it's negated Granted, when you have countries like India and China that blow up their satellites in the low orbit that creates thousands of space debris, it kind of fucks up everyone's plans. But who am I to judge? Actually, I'm going to judge. India, I don't know why you blew up your rocket in low Earth orbit. I know you didn't do it on purpose, but you should have, yeah, that caused so many problems for everyone else. But if you like streaming, if you like having the internet, you kind of want to make sure the space around the Earth gets cleaned up. That's probably the main concern is we would probably go back about two decades in technology current if we have a increase in the Kessler syndrome. Imagine a world without memes. I don't know if I want to live in that world. You want to talk about? Yeah, I want to live in that world. Never mind. Send more space degree. A world without cat videos. Yeah, you're not really uh, not a good salesman there, Nick. I, uh... A world without 3D printed gun manuals. Nick, I have calipers. I can just design my own. A world without internet pornography. Oh, God. We must stop space debris. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Let's get to work. All right. Uh, speaking of getting to work, there are a lot of interesting... Pornography? Oh, well, we're not that desperate yet. We haven't started an OnlyFans page yet. Uh, <laughs> Keyword yet. <laughs> but... There are lots of solutions, and some of them are absolutely crazy, and I love it when we come up with crazy solutions. And, Nick, I don't know about you, but in researching this, it seems like everything was on the table. Like, no idea was too crazy. Yeah, this is, uh, it really just seems like listening to you when you have a lot of, like, ridiculous ideas. I don't know how to take that as a compliment or an insult. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> well, since I know you like Moby Dick, and I know you like wood, especially with that wood satellite, which can't believe that's happening. How about I start with an ancient job that is being reamped to a modern problem? That is whaling. Yep, no, I, you heard me right, ladies and gentlemen. Whaling. Uh, so I knew the Japanese were onto something. Uh, that's well, I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole. Uh, <laughs> Europe is planning on using removed debris. That's the name of it, you guys. You got to come up with better names, like like Project, Project Harpoon or Project White Whale. Yes, or something. The, the the English known for their creativity. <laughs> well, this idea is get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh england call God, me if they were coming up with <laughs> with the manhattan project they'd call it like the fucking nuclear project <laughs> you're not wrong uh but they might be bad at naming but this idea that they have is quite almost seems science fiction it should be a book almost they plan on catching space junk by nets and harpoons no, you, you heard me right. Catching space junk with nets and harpoons. Then have a sail to create drags, probably solar drag if I had to imagine, or electron drag. So it falls back into Earth, so it burns up on re, uh, re-entry. The harpoons are not the traditional three meters that you might be thinking of the ancient whalers. The harpoons are about the size of a ballpoint pen. They are not quite sure on how they are being launched into the space debris to collect and drag them down, but it's got to be either rocket propelled, I don't, maybe air compressed, and they just, I don't know, it just seems, they they, could have named it Operation Porcupine, I think that's a better name, but harpooning space junk or collecting it in nets Granted, the nets to me is a very interesting thing, which I'll talk about later. It just seems a little medieval for the solution of this problem. Hey, but if it looks stupid and it works, it still works. Fair enough. We might have another profession come back from the dead. We might have whalers come... (laughs) We're speaking of Futurama, whalers on the moon. Uh, Whalers come back as a profession, but instead of hunting whales you're hunting space debris there's a bunch of new englanders pulling up their crab pots and getting ready to come out and put on their fucking rocket suits and come whale in space <laughs> honestly it's probably less hostile than their jobs yeah i'd like occupy uh, not occupy operation porcupine better or op- like operation nantucket sleigh ride or operation <laughs> earth sleigh ride a Nantucket sleigh ride is when you're in a whaling boat and you stick the whale with the harpoon and it just starts pulling you. It's a Nantucket sleigh ride. So something like that would be a lot better than Operation whatever the f- dumbass idea the English came up with. <laughs> this is a little off topic, but I just remembered... <laughs> Operation Successful Colonies. What they should have <laughs> I just remembered that they named the boat, like they let the public name... Oh, a- Boatie McBoatface. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, England. Uh, just just ask Americans for naming stuff. Like, call us. We got you. You're you're our our, our distant cousins just across the pond. We we got you. Yeah, I feel like we're helping our like idiot cousin over here. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> you can't put that on your sandwich. That's rat poison. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Well, sticking with water analogies, there's another one I want to bring you to, Nick, which is, I see it being effective for larger objects, but not small objects. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, nitrile, are you, Nick? That's going to be a hard no. We've talked about it before in an earlier podcast, but it's a it's a memory alloy, so pretty much, I believe it's, oh god nickel aluminum and something else um based on its temperature it can remember a shape and if you morph if you morph that item say you had a paper clip it's made of this nicotrol and you heat it up and so that's it's now spot 
right? That's its memory. That's its spawn point. And you bend the paperclip like crazy. You know, you make like a weird shape. And then you reheat it up, it'll go back to its original form. So you're describing Terminator 2. Or is that 3? Mm, 3. With the, with the chick three. who turns into like three. the silver... Th- okay, 3? Yeah. Uh, okay. Message received. Yes. But a Louis Wei Yu Feng from the University of Cape Town in South Africa has been working on Nicotrol to help grab objects and, well, send them back to Earth so they get burned up. And the best way I could describe what these objects look like are squids, octopuses, jellyfish. Imagine a central core with tentacles, but instead of tentacles, they're flat, more like cloth-looking objects, and simply they go around a flying object in space, and the operator presses a button, and it sends electricity through the necrotrol, which then heats it, which then conforms it to grab around. And watching this video operation and uh, the creator talk about it, he did bring up an interesting point where if you misgrabbed it, you can release it again and it'd still be a viable option. I don't know with harpooning if it's one and done. Like, if you miss, I don't know if that harpoon's now just floating in space. Well... Luckily, a harpoon is probably not going to be able to damage anything, right? Yeah, you know, paint chips are able to crack the windshield of uh, the International Space Station or have the same kinetic force of a motorcycle going 60 miles per hour. Yeah, sure, a harpoon won't do anything. Okay, good. Just wanted to confirm. Cool, cool. And before I hand it off to you, Nick, because I imagine you came came across some interesting solutions. Just have you? Okay, so the... The only thing that I came across that you haven't is basically going up, and this is the hard part, so you have to find really small objects, right? But you go up in front of them, then you release essentially like a powder. And what that powder does is it just continues to add mass to these really small objects, which causes them to sink lower into orbit and eventually burn up as a way to, a, a cheap cheap way to remove uh, really tiny objects from the or- the orbit. That's very interesting. I didn't come across that one. That's a lot better than the one I think Texas AMN came across, which I, I, I'm sorry, Texas. This was probably the dumbest idea I came across in a very long time. Nick, they want to make... Hold on. I have to ask you this legally. As a Texas resident, are you about to mess with Texas? I'm going to say they're out-of-state students at this university, so they're not actual Texans. Got them on the technicality. (laughs) Well, they they want to make a slingshot, and they want... uh, It honestly doesn't even look like a slingshot. Kind of... Well, it's almost using um, a wind director, so, you know, spinning rotation, and the space debris hits a cup, which then instead of continuing on its orbit, spins around its new orbit, and then they catapult it, they slingshot it towards the Earth. I see many problems with this, one being, well, to match the velocity of an incoming object while you're floating in space is relatively hard to do. Then to... I just like the fact of, you know how space debris is dangerous? Or what if we made it faster? (laughs) I understand you're trying to redirect it, but this slingshot idea, for some reason, is one of the dumbest ideas I've come across in a long time. I I could be wrong. All right. What are the odds they got this from Talladega Nights? Uh, I'm oof, shake and bake, baby. Shake and bake. Magic man. <laughs> and El Diablo. It's Spanish for some sort of fight in chicken. Oh, boy. Well, you know what's not a dumb idea? is a idea that came up from a team from the University of Colorado in Boulder. They are developing a... That's almost an oxymoron right there. <laughs> this has been a really weird episode on contradicting things. Wouldn't space, Texas, not being good at blowing stuff up? Oh, by the way... Uh, and people from Boulder being the smart ones? <laughs> uh, by the way, everyone, I'm just going to point this out here now. I apologize if you went to Boulder, but the only people who I know who went to Boulder went there because weed was legalized. Yeah, I think we know the same people, Nick. That would make sense, seeing as we went to the same high school. <laughs> but unfortunately, we can't do the Texan way of just blow it up. Blowing stuff up in 
space unless we can develop a bomb that has like no i'm trying to think no shrapnel at all then it might work not quite sure but no explosives are kind of a bad idea in this great situation. way to lose half of our listeners who live in texas now but what if and we idaho and actually pretty much any state in america hang on i can win them back instead of using explosives what if we used future guns future guns hell yeah brother <laughs> <laughs> like I was saying from the University of Colorado, they are developing a concept in which a pulse of electrons are directed at debris to push them into the Earth's lower orbit so it would eventually fall into the Earth. So kind of like that powder, Nick, but instead of using a powder, they're using electrons to hit it. I imagine we could also probably use gamma radiation or Gamma particles, no, not gamma particles, alpha particles. Gamma radiation or alpha particles to hit it because they have more mass. To So how close is this to the Gauss cannon from Halo? We have those on Earth already. Yeah, I knew that. Okay. Uh, this is much, no, I didn't, much, but <laughs> this is much different. Just answer the question. Uh, this is, this is, uh, hmm. this is more like an ion generator for uh, space stations, which we talked about for space colonization and for those who don't know about that so pretty much you're taking a bunch of small particles like a birdshot and you're shooting it but this time it would be a little bit more directed so all these small particles i mean yeah let you get hit by electrons and photons every day you don't feel it but in a area that has no friction space it makes a big difference especially if you're a tiny particle that's like you know like a paint chip flying in space so imagine a pulse laser kind of gun shooting objects to add more mass to them to send them more into the earth okay so on the theme of texas and the united states i was thinking of a solution which is not a solution but what if there's like a space trap shooting event where you everyone's standing tethered to some kind of platform and you have space shotguns obviously and you shoot all from above down towards the earth uh like shells and it pushes everything obviously it's being projected downwards but you're tethered to something and you're just like shooting all this stuff shooting everything down then all of a sudden one of your friends get hits by like a mush a russian like mini fridge just takes them out because it's just flying around you didn't see it i feel like that would be fun that sounds like a comedy movie which we should probably make and well to keep on that trap shooting kind of subject you're talking about nick you've done trap shooting correct i was actually a student athlete mike i was on a trap shooting team technically but i am not very good uh well you have to launch the clay pigeons right that is correct well this is the closest thing i could think to for trap shooting but for space debris uh some team is working on a well, pulse generator to send our atmosphere a bit into space, mainly air, to knock things out of alignment so they fall into Earth. So the best way I can describe this is imagine a ring on balloons and high altitude weather balloons, and they create a ion pulse, which then sends the atmosphere into the Earth, kind of like a geyser, and anything that falls into it when the geyser is going up, all that air will knock it out of place and make it fall into the earth. So you're combining balloons, which everyone loves, with making safe, making space a safer place? That seems like a win-win. Yeah, I saw that. That one seems quite easily to implement quite feel, soon. And I feel like air is one of those things that won't kill you if it hits you quickly in space. As opposed to shooting shotguns in space. Or even powder, which we know a chip of paint can be deadly. Uh, I think the air would kill you if it hits you in space. Because you're having a puff of air. Well, it might disperse. Yeah, it'd probably disperse. Never mind. It'd probably disperse. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that would just disperse. But, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, how the regulations and rules are changing... Nick, I don't know if you came across this research, but 2020, 2021, 2022 are going to be big years for space. A lot of things have changed. 
A lot of things are getting implemented. A lot of things are getting launched. And in March of 2021, ELSAD uh, was launched with its uh, sole purpose to clean up space debris. This satellite uh, is not for dead satellites, any current dead satellites. But this device is for satellites that will eventually be decommissioned. So this is a preventive program. So when a satellite's starting to get old and needs to be put out to pasture and all the other needs to get behind the barn, this comes in, the ELSA-D, and sends it onto Earth to get burned up into a crisp and fall as ashes and little tiny, tiny, tiny atoms back into our uh, soil. Well, we're, uh, I mean, I think we're at the point now where we can still kind of get a handle on it, but we need to start acting. And if we just keep doing our usual shit, it's, uh, it's not going to work out well. Oh, Nick, we're humans. Of course we learn after every mistake we make, right? Yeah, history has shown that. <laughs> uh, I got, well, we started off with shitting on Russia, but Russia might have the best solution for this problem. And before I get into it, Nick, I was wondering if you had any more on it before I hopped into it. No, I'm just curious to to see what Russia's going to do. So this is a private organization in Russia. It's a startup rocket company that wants to use foam to catch space debris. And, well, its main use is to target and kind of be the first responders to any collisions. So instead of, you know, like a car has airbags to deploy when a, uh, when a satellite gets collid- collided with something else, this foam would kind of release or they might send the foam to this location to help collect the debris. And this foam, I believe it's a hydropetrol, so it's a, I think, I believe it's an, I believe it's a carbon-based foam. Uh, it's interesting to me, too, because if you're able to capture the device while the foam is still hardening, it would help slow the velocity of the object moving, so it would make it easier to capture. And then, if I'm not mistaken, also, the foam that when it falls back from the earth also burns up. So it's a little bit cleaning, dist- cleaner, destroying material, I guess is a way to say it. Which, the foam idea is very similar to an idea I came up with. But I want to hear your thoughts on the foam dispensing. Imagine bubbles in space, but this foam kind of looks like uh, insulation foam, to be honest with you, yellow insulation foam. I mean, isn't the, the foam essentially just the same thing as, I guess, so, okay, walk me through this if I'm not understanding. The main part of the foam is that it keeps everything as one, so you don't have a bunch of tiny little pieces floating around. You have one big piece. Not necessarily. So... Much like a net, like we were talking about with the harpooning and net, this foam could be, if I'm not mistaken, I read this correct, could be dispensed over a large area. So acting like another type of net, it would catch all the things that come into it. So you're not just trying to add mass onto it, but you're trying to get it into a location where you can control. So now instead of trying to pick up a blueberry in space, you're now trying to pick up a wall of blueberries. A car- it's a lot easier to pick up a carton of blueberries than it is a single blueberry and then send that on its way into the atmosphere to burn up. Okay, so you're essentially, yeah, you're making like a wall. There's some large object that's easier to grab and track and then more mass, it'll fall into lower orbit sooner. That's what I could tell, but I wouldn't be surprised if companies start implementing this technology into their current satellites. So that way, if the satellite gets destroyed, it happens to just, you know, foam up and kind of keep it one piece. You know, kind of a safety protocol. Which, Nick, I don't know if you came across anything with Starlink before we get into our crazy solutions, but I'm curious on what their solutions are. Because Starlink, if people don't know, is a satellite program going up to help people get internet across the world who don't have access to internet. In order to do this, it takes a lot of satellites. A lot of satellites means more flying stuff. And more satellites that are smaller needs to be in low Earth orbit, which means they're kind of in the kill zone. And they say they have technology to help prevent it, but if they fuck up or another company tries to mimic it and cuts corners and they fuck up, we're all screwed. So I think the foam might be a very interesting solution if they implement it inside the satellites. Yeah, so first off... I wouldn't bet against Elon Musk personally. 
Um, but but second, another thing I guess to add on to that is I've seen companies who their entire I forget the company, but their entire purpose is they go to companies who are launching satellites and they sell them like their product, which is essentially helps them helps those rockets that once they're decommissioned, they shoot themselves back down into the atmosphere to you know burn up. So that's something that I think is going to be implemented with once these rockets, like whether they have a failure or something's going to hit them or, or something, something happens, a certain criteria is met, the, lo- the rockets or the satellites will shoot themselves down into the atmosphere to start burning up to reduce space junk. Yeah, I can see that. I, I agree with that statement. I, I am curious, though, about all the tongue-in-cheek of it i feel like that's a technology you'd want to share with the world but you know who am i to judge he's a very successful man and he's done a really lot of amazing things but nick i'm not a successful man yet but i am a crazy man and boy do i have some crazy ideas crazier than space rednecks trap shooting space debris yes (laughs) okay this go on (laughs) uh well i right now i just call it I'm just calling it Operation Tsunami. Uh, this better be seven... more aptly named than an English <laughs> thing. Well, th- yeah, it's definitely definitely better named. That's for sure. Uh, with the International Space Station coming towards the end of its life, I know they're planning on decommissioning it soon, and I know I know it'd be hard. But if we could all just for a decade, just refuse the comforts we have right now so the entire world will benefit in the long run i propose we hit the reset button we get everyone in space currently back on earth then we release a electron pulse bomb i guess is the best way to describe it a tidal wave of electrons and particles to flood and wash over and send everything into the earth's atmosphere to burn up and we would do this multiple times to collect every little bit. So the, for the first time since 1957, the entire orbit around Earth would be empty. Now, it's a sacrifice about 10 years. I can't tell you soon- how little support you will get for that. I'm happy I started with my most crazy—well, not my most crazy idea. I'm happy I started with the idea that I think was going to be less likely to succeed. This is this is this is what that brings to my mind, Mike. Michigan was getting chronic waste disease in this deer population. Pretty much chronic waste disease is a prion disease that it makes the deer all fucked up, kind of like zombies. And it'll it's active in the soil for a long time. The only way to get rid of it is a coal. You have to kill like you can try and manage for it, but it won't work. You really have to reset, do a hard reset on the deer population. Just kill let the hunters kill every single deer, let the prion disease die, and reintroduce only healthy deer, and then do an aggressive cull on the deer after that. Now, removing all the deer from Wisconsin really only affects deer hunters and farmers, and we didn't do that. That affects deer hunters and farmers are probably maybe 3% of the population of Wisconsin and Michigan, and we wouldn't do it for that. Removing satellites affects 100%, maybe 90% of the people on this planet. So just doing like simple math, we're not going to make a change to eh, maybe, let's say, let's say 20% of Wisconsin, Michigan population of deer hunters. We're not going to make a change for a 20% affect the population. There's, I feel personally, not that it's not a bad idea, but I don't think that will ever do anything that will that drastically unless we are so fucked. All right, I'll win you back. Lasers. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Lasers. Are these lasers mounted on any type of sea creature? No, but they are not dolphins. Late. No, I don't think we could put a dolphin in space. Wait, this is off topic. But if we created, if we released a swimming pool in like, a space you shuttle, literally just we talked about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Dolphins are from space. <laughs> shut up if we released a pool of water it would all form into a sphere would a dolphin survive in that would a dolphin survive in a free-floating sphere of water in space it'd have to have well in, in a space shuttle be warm enough in a space shuttle in a space shuttle and it'd have to have some kind of oxygenation hmm. 
that's a that's a rabbit hole for another time back to the lasers first we grow trees then we grow dolphins in space. that's how it works mike there's a timeline we have to adhere to uh now we talked about nets earlier in the podcast this is kind of a similar similar effect but with lasers we could probably use a origami engineered you know frame to expand into a laser grid and you literally destroy anything that flies through it so that because to me my biggest concern isn't the large pieces we can track large pieces it's to me the pieces we can't see those millions and i do mean millions of pieces that are flying around that we can't see or have a hard time tracking those are it (laughs) that's the devil you don't know i'd rather fight with the devil i do know so set up scheduled stations and have them just turned on and have i don't know maybe solar panels to help keep it going and some solar sails to help pull it along with the same velocity or not velocity a slightly slower velocity so that way if they do get hit they kind of rattle they don't get destroyed and just have things fly through the laser grid to get destroyed now my only problem with this is i don't know the direction of orbital stuff in space i don't know if it all flows in a similar direction like i don't know if there's things going contradictive wise in orbit that's something that would be very difficult to overcome this is literally from an episode of star wars the the clone wars dave filoni did this well not for this purpose but lasers is an orbital defense mechanism and the system malfunctioned and what it ended up doing is it would hit anything trying to come through it so it trapped everyone on the planet there now not saying that that's going to happen but i do have to give credit to dave filoni okay i'm picturing more like a giant picture frame with lasers shooting down crisscross like a yeah i'm picturing like a giant laser system set up all around the world no i'm picturing like three or four of these just flowing around through space like giant quilts of lasers that anything that flies through or hits that quilt gets evaporated i believe the term you're looking for is lasers oh i felt the i didn't I, hear the felt, the air quotes in <laughs> you, that you beat me to it i was about to say that uh, and last but not least is kind of my less of the crazy how much you bet <laughs> elon musk is in his fucking million dollar house right now yelling at grimes like i need some lasers <laughs> On my Skylink project. <laughs> oh, I didn't think. What about? Oh, that's a that's a. Let me. Uh, ooh, we might have a problem with uh, orbital uh, bombs, but that's a uh, that's a problem for another time. Uh, my last it's problem for some not Texan to handle. <laughs> not Texas A and M. Sorry, Texas A and M. That was just a joke. Uh, my last one is kind of a combination. So with all these objects moving at four miles per hour i think that's like seven meters per second uh, sorry, sorry yeah four miles per second and four seven meters per second yeah that's about your right. texas is showing yeah uh having those speeds it's kind of tricky to catch up with stuff something of that high velocity so i propose i guess like a kind of like a bucket but with slime so it's taking that foam method and bucket method so pretty much so say Say it's going, this is just arbitrary numbers, 120 miles per hour, right? It's hard to catch something going 120 miles per hour. But if you bring yourself up to be 118 miles per hour, you catch that, it's only 2 miles per hour. That's a lot less damage. So have a giant sail almost, a giant bucket. Perhaps I was thinking with slime because that way, because if you ever punch jello, I'm hoping that it would transfer the energy because it's a either a newtonian fluid or perhaps it's like an angelic material so it helps display the displace the energy better uh have that in like a sail or a bucket and you're slightly going a little bit slower than the objects you're trying to catch the smaller particles again i'm more concerned about the smaller particles have those fly around so when objects hit it it's only going i don't know a two mile per hour difference and you can collect all that and simply have a re-entry program to fly back in, or even better, just send it out into the sun. We don't have to send everything we collect back to Earth. It can be one and done. We can crash that into Jupiter. I, long as we crash it somewhere and it's not clogging up our home, that's uh, that's 
an idea that I had, which I think is very possible, just simply click close to the terminal velocity of the things orbiting the Earth and collect them by displacing their their speed. So then you just have a bucket full of space junk. I feel like there's a space slime joke in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the movie. We might create the the blob or something like that. Something like that. Ugh. But I mentioned a little earlier, and I'm not quite sure. This would definitely not work with Operation Tsunami, which I came up with. Um, Certain countries, not naming countries, (coughs) America, we have orbital strikers in space, which are quite literally just really heavy rods that if we were to drop would create pretty much earthquakes and craters wherever it lands. So we'd probably have to get those out of the way first. So we'd have to not launch things at those spots or launch things at those spots? We'll probably have to move those things into deeper orbit to get those things out of the way and then reintroduce them into the orbit of the Earth. Because, again, we have things at different levels of orbit. The ones higher up, they tend to be bigger. Like, we can't move all our Internet satellites up there because it, the reliability wouldn't be there. Or, uh, like, there's a bunch of different factors why we have things at different orbits. But imagine if space debris hit an orbital striker. That's quite literally a tsunami or a city completely gone. Granted, I believe those are probably not in low Earth orbit. And if they are, they probably have lots of adjustments and constant monitoring. But, needless to say, that's a very huge risk, considering what just happened with China having their space debris randomly fall somewhere on the Earth. Granted, it was in the Ocean, so luckily no one got hurt, except for maybe some dolphins. But they had lasers on them, so it worked out. Well, and they're space creatures anyway, so it doesn't <laughs> matter. So long, and thanks for all the fish, So I always say. Yeah, but um, Nick, everything's so, on the board. <laughs> <laughs> everything is on the board. So I guess my question is, like, yeah, so what, what, what are the odds that a piece of space debris is going to strike... Because I'm sure we aren't the only country with weapons in space. Right? Yeah. I got to imagine. Yeah. There's at least three to four others. I, I'm i not worried about the Russians. They have a pretty good tracking system. Russians are relatively really good in space. Honestly, I'm more worried about Europe. Because I don't think China has any weapons in space. They might have some... Light diffracting, but I don't think they have any orbital strikers, which are which I am more scared of because that's just mass, and if mass falls, a lot of people die. Uh, so my biggest concern right now is probably Europe, probably a country in Europe. Well, I mean, I feel like that shouldn't be too hard to find. If you, if you were spying on Europe, you just log into their computer and search for Operation Orbital Striker. There <laughs> you go. Oh God, they're. God, their code names are terrible. God damn it! Sorry, sorry, UK. We're picking on you, but your space, your your current, the last five years, your space names have been horrible. Mixer McBody face is a is an example. You can't even name those type of ships, let alone spaceships. No, um, but honestly, it's just the biggest concern is our everyday life. Again, the GPS is owned by the U.S. government. They can turn that off, whether they want to or not like they could just do that and we couldn't do anything about it but we could have companies that you know track weather that track uh tidal waves track uh transportation track uh you know all the shipping containers that also monitor on human consumption of light you know doing scientific research all these different satellites could just be gone and so to to give an example the biggest stakeholder in weather satellites, weather predicting forecast, is the materials building industry. People who pour concrete have the most money and the biggest stake in forecast prediction in weather, which is kind of, I, I always thought that was surprising. But if they can't predict the weather, they could pour concrete at the wrong time, it gets wet, stuff like that. And we use weather all the time to predict for when is rain coming for fire season we can get a heads up on when days are going to be bad i mean we use these prediction services for a lot the tides i mean i use them to go fishing but i'm sure other people use them for important things (laughs) but um 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're so reliant. And even though you have people, you know, like me, who I navigate without GPS 90% of the time traveling over a, a large area, I don't think the world's ready for no GPS. And I would love to see it. I'd love to see those people, those Tom Haverfords, who take the GPS to work every day. I think it'd be eye-opening. I think it'd be good for humanity. But I don't... At the same time, I think it'd be really fucking bad. I think people would just be clueless and gone. There'd be a major disruption of every single thing that we do. Completely agree. Ladies and gentlemen, think about everything that a satellite connects to. And I do mean everything a satellite connects to. That could all disappear relatively quickly, which is quite frightening. Now, relatively quickly is not tomorrow. Relatively quickly might be seven years, but... Seven years isn't a long way off if we keep going on, you know, a couple X and O's happen to line up and just total things. But we keep... So now's a good time to go on wherever you buy stuff from and buy a book on medicine and buy a book on gardening. Oh, God. Yeah, just imagine all the education because of diseases and COVID that force people to learn from home. All that education now, you have to be self-taught or has to be homeschooled. Uh, getting information of like, hey, my patient has this disease. I can't identify it. That's gone. You, ha- If you wanted to send someone a, a message, you would have to write a physical letter. You wouldn't be able to send nudes to anybody. You'd have to, you'd have to take a camera, print it out, mail it, have, you know, cars, people who know how to navigate my maps or just you know have a new pony express bring it to her and say ta-da first off mike what you're talking about is called polaroids and shake it like a polaroid it's uh it's still a thing so we're good there wait what polaroids you can take your own picture sorry i was confused you don't have to get it developed by anybody i was sorry i was confused i was just thinking a digital camera and a printer but you know some of us are a little bit more old school, apparently. Yeah, yeah. It might not be a bad thing, Nick, though. might not be a bad thing. There's a way... <laughs> it may seem hard to believe, but we have lived, even us, <laughs> we're only, what, 26-ish? We have lived without the internet for a, a portion of our lives. It, it can be done. It's not fun, but it can be done. Honestly, I kind of miss those days. Yep, you had to, to check out an actual book. And, and read, like, flip through the book to get your answer. And now you can just Google what, any question you want and get the answer in less than 30 seconds. Yes. Oh, I also, uh, this is probably going, that uh, I don't think we'll be fine uh, now that I realize it. Because um, the stock market, uh, a lot of trades are done via satellite. You know, uh, the stock market would take a significant crash and the economy of the world would crash so for that reason alone we never do your operation tsunami all right operation tsunami has now turned into a doomsday plan not a solution just uh throwing that out there okay so you went from elon musk to dr evil in about what 37 minutes yeah that's about that's about right i prefer to be a bond villain over dr evil but you know i'll take what i can get yeah wrong crowd you're dr evil (laughs) (laughs) number two oh So does that make you mini me, Nick? No, obviously I am Austin Powers. Good looking. British. British. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. I fell right into your trap, (laughs) Dr. Evil. (laughs) Uh. But yeah, it's it's a crazy word out there, Nick. And it's a crazy space out there. It's deep, dark, and scary. And... I'm not quite sure how to solve it, but it seems to be every solution's on the table. Yeah, I like how our solutions are shut it down, shut it all down <laughs> to so long and thanks for all the fish and oh well we're just fucked. <laughs> I feel like that's the uh title for humanity's biography. <laughs> yeah, we always pull it out of her ass. Yeah. Better late than never. But if people want to tell us their space ideas or any space ideas we didn't come across, Nick, where could they find us and tell us? You can find us on YouTube and Instagram at Backyard Philosophy Podcast. Can they find us on Twitter? 
You cannot find us on Twitter because Twitter is dumb. And hopefully their satellites get destroyed. And That would be ideal. That would be the best case scenario. I mean, I can't imagine a better case scenario than all like all of Twitter's satellites get destroyed. I mean, I don't even know if they have satellites, but I imagine they do, and I just imagine that they're gone. There would be no news without Twitter. We have to people would have to report on actual events. That that sounds wonderful. Can wait. Maybe maybe Operation Tsunami is the villain the world needs. It's the bad guy who just wants to be a good guy. <laughs> All right, Megamind, calm down. But also, since I know both me and you like paper copy books, what book are you reading? I am currently reading a book by John Girosh called Sex, Death, and Fly Fishing. That sums up your life pretty well there, my friend. Pretty well. I'm not dead yet, but... (laughs) Two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) Two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) 66%, that's a passing grade, right? (laughs) Yeah. Forestry degrees, guys. (laughs) What are you reading? Uh, I am starting a bibliography on Napoleon by Andrew Roberts. He's come up quite a bit in our podcast in the past, and I figure it's time to learn some more about good old Napoleon. Yeah, it should be good. You'll have to let me know how that one is. I'm pretty curious. Will do. I'll, I'll have to steal it from you when you're done, maybe. Not a problem, my friend. And as always, as space gets more and more scary because we keep going into the depths, let's... uh. For once, humanity, try not to repeat history. Let's try to clean up after ourselves and maybe not destroy this planet and also maybe not destroy the space around this planet. But that seems to be a tall order. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.